Our reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 20, and is found at the top of page 1197. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take a member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sin, se, sorry, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own; you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Thank you, Joy, for reading that passage. Now, friends, uh, why don't you take a moment, turn around, welcome each other. Grab also an outline. You'll find that helpful tonight and, and I'll call you back shortly. Well, let, let us um, ask God for his help. We, we do come to a difficult passage and a, a raw passage, a challenging passage. And so we do need God's help that we'll be honest with ourselves um, and that we'll let him do his work in us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage which speaks to us at our deepest levels. We pray, Lord, that you will help us be honest with ourselves. Search us, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you might help us see how we are to respond, how we are to see our bodies and how we are to use them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, we live in a world where almost anything goes, anything goes, where almost everything is permissible. You can't say it's forbidden. It's forbidden to forbid. You can't say that. You can't say to another person you can't do that. What right do you have to tell another person you can't do that? You know, we all think this is my life. I have the right to do as I please with my life. You see, this type of attitude to life and living was captured in the 19th century poem Invictus. The last two lines says this, I'm the master of my fate. This is my fate. I'm the master of it. And I'm the captain of my soul. It's saying, I can do whatever I like. This is my life. This is my body. You can't stop me. And we also find this type of attitude extends also into the realm of sexuality, into the realm of sex. And boy, how has the world changed? 
in this regard. Now, I remember when I was working as an engineer, I was made by my boss to watch a movie, an old movie. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen this movie. It was called this. It is called this. No Highway in the Sky. It's from the 1950s. I didn't want to watch it. It looked old. It is old. <laughs> but my boss made me watch this. Now, now there's this scene in this movie. It's about an engineer. That's why he told me to watch it. It was, it was about an aircraft engineer and that's why he told me to watch it. But anyway, there's this one scene in this movie which, which is quite funny. Theodore, the engineer, he was shocked. He was so embarrassed when he saw his female friend walk down the stairs. Now, now usually you get embarrassed if the female's walking down the stairs in her bikini or maybe even naked. But you know what? In this movie, she was walking down the stairs fully clothed in her pyjamas and he was embarrassed. That was seen too much already. I mean, that was what it was like back then. You couldn't even see her ankle and that was too much flesh already. Man, pyjamas, a girl, that's too much for a man. It might just be because he was an engineer and engineers are a bit weird. <laughs> but today, how has the world changed? The billboards, the magazines, the ads, the video hits, the movies, the internet... It's almost everywhere. You see it everywhere. It's almost the fact of society now is anything and everything is acceptable and permissible. I mean, just last week, if you've been reading the newspapers, there was a complaint against the body shop. Anyone shop there before, the body shop? That green, I don't know, girly shop with soap and smelly stuff? Well, anyway, there was a complaint against this shop. Well, this shop was, it is a shop that, that promotes itself as a shop that, that's looking for positive social change. But how did they advertise their soap or shampoo? They plastered on their shop window this large explicit poster of a naked man. I mean, you see it everywhere. Nudity, sex cells. But I want us to think about this. As bad as we are today, as bad as society is today, as permissive, and promiscuous our world has become, it's actually not new. It's actually not a new thing that our world faces. In fact, back in the first century, in the time that this letter was written, it was in fact worse back then. They were in fact more permissive and promiscuous than we are today. If anything, the city of Corinth was far more permissive than we are today. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But they were. You see, at least today we have laws against rape and sexual abuse. Back then, no such laws. You know, if you were the master of a house, you could do whatever you want with everyone in the house. The slave boys, the slave girls, and society would not care. That was how it was back then. And so Corinth was known throughout the ancient world for its sexual licence. This time that Paul was writing to this church, that city... That, that city was known for its sexual license. So much so that the name, the very name of the city, Corinth, was used to speak of sexual immorality. In fact, one Greek author, Aristophanes, he coined a new Greek word to Corinthianize. Isn't that strange? To, to turn the city into a verb, to Corinthianize. And it was to mean to participate in immoral sexual practices. It would be a bit like if we were to make up a new term today, to Melbourneize someone. What would that mean? Well, if you Melbourneize someone from Sydney, it would mean to, to give them a bit of culture, right? 
um, help them enjoy AFL, barrack for Hawthorne, drink lattes. But Corinth, to Corinthianize, is to practice sexual immorality. And Corinth was the big red light district of the ancient world. It was your Amsterdam and your Bangkok joined into one and bigger. You see, at the heart of this very city was a temple to worship the goddess Aphrodite. Now, now what, what that meant was this temple to this goddess, goddess, it was a place of prostitution. That's where men would go and have their prostitute. That's in fact how they would worship their goddess and that's how you would guarantee your own fertility for your home, for your business. And so the centre of the city was a prostitution centre. Now the church in Corinth, what were they like? Well, they were touched by the gospel. They were in the city. They should have been the beacon of light. And we've already seen in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians that Paul called them, you guys are saints. You're the holy ones. You've been set apart for God, for his good purposes. And so they should have been different in character, in behaviour, in value. But what we see is that they were no different. The church was no different to the city around them. In fact, as we saw last week, the church tolerated a kind of sexual behaviour that even pagans did not tolerate. A man sleeps with his stepmother. What do you think society would say? Well, society back then would say, that's not on. What did the church say? The church, they were proud of it. Now, is that crazy or what? And so the question for tonight is, does it matter? Does it matter that a church was like that? Does it matter that any church is like that? And so the question for us tonight is, does it matter to our church how we think about sex or how we think about our bodies and what we do with our bodies? Does it matter? Well, what we see in this passage is that God thinks it matters. And it matters a big deal. Sex matters, your body matters. And what we'll see in this passage is that it matters, your body matters, because firstly, there was a costly redemption for your body. Secondly, we'll see there will be a future resurrection of your body. And thirdly, we'll see is that there is now the divine resident in your body. And so firstly, let's have a look. There was a costly redemption for your body. And so Paul is saying to them, you can't go on doing as you please with your body. Paul, he, he appeals to their minds. He's not just telling them off. He's saying, think about this. Consider this. And so he says, you should know this. And he repeats this phrase, don't you know? Don't you know? He says it four times in this passage, verse 9, verse 15, verse 16, verse 19. Don't you know? And the first of these, he says, don't you know, there are consequences for sexual immorality. There are consequences. Now, sexual immor- immorality, the, the, the word translated in our Bible, comes from the Greek word porneia. We heard this last week. It means sexual immorality. It means fornication. It's where we get the word pornography from. It's, in fact, a term, it's a catch-all term that refers to any form of sexual stimulation, any form of sexual arousal outside the context of a lifelong, exclusive marriage relationship between one man and one woman. 
any activity outside of that that is porneia, that is sexual immorality. And so it can be verbal, you know, the, the, the seductive words to arouse someone else, to flirt with someone else who's not your husband or your wife. It can be visual, you know, the, the lookout, looking at places where you're not meant to, the second glance as that person walks past. It can be visual. It can also be virtual. It's all up in the mind, the lust, the fantasies. That is not on. That is porneia. And, of course, it can be physical. Any sexual touch, any sexual activity with someone who is not your husband or wife. And so what that is saying then is that if you are dating and you're not married with this person, then there must be no hint of anything sexual at all. No hint of any sexual stimulation or sexual arousal. And of course it also means for those who are already married, if you have any of these activities with someone you're not married to, well that is also porneia. That is sexual immorality. It is a catch-all term. And so Paul here wants them to know, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Don't be silly. There are always consequences for sexual immorality. Now in our world, what do we think? The prevailing thought in our culture, in our world, is that sexual activity doesn't really matter. Outside of marriage doesn't really matter. There can't be really any consequences at all as long as you play safe, as long as you have safe sex. And so sex in our culture, it's presented as harmless fun. It's just for fun. If it feels good, it's okay. And so we see this all over the place. The ads, the advertisement, they use sex to sell like it's harmless. But you see, if you think about this deeply, if you think hard about this, nothing exposes a person more than sex. Nothing opens a person more than sex. Nothing makes a person more vulnerable than sex. And so to think that sex can be shared around from person to person to person with whom I do not have a lifelong committed relationship with and to think that that will have no consequences That is being deceived. You see, that's opening me up to hurt, to being betrayed, to being abused, to being used. And of course, you don't really have to look that far to know that this is the case, right? I'm sure you don't need much convincing to see that that is true. Sexual immorality, pornea, it leads to depression. It leads to being abused. It leads to people feeling being used. It leads to emotional breakdown. It leads to the breakdown of marriages. It leads to the breakdown of families, the basic unit of society. It leads to unwanted pregnancies. And whether we care to admit it or not, it leads to the spread of diseases. And so we do know this to be true. But you see, what Paul is saying here is that even worse than the consequences of here and now, there is an eternal consequence of being sexually immoral. There is an eternal one. And so Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know there are consequences? Don't be deceived. You see, you will have no part in the kingdom of God. If you go on with this life, you will have no part in heaven. And so we see this from verses 9 to 10. Have a look. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, how clear can Paul put it? Not much clearer than that. And so he goes on to say, don't be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, obviously it's not just the sexual immoral, but we will be focusing on that. Now, when we listen to this, we must understand here that Paul is not on about using scare tactics just to scare us. Though when you do read it, it should be scary. You have no part in the kingdom of God. And see, Paul here is not on about simply making them feel guilty and worthless. Though when you read this, it should convict us of guilt. It is this serious. And so Paul in this passage, he wants them to know what you do about your bodies, what you think about your bodies, it matters because there was a costly redemption for your body. And so for those within the church who have been Corinthianised, who blended in so well with society around them, they needed to be reminded of this, what Paul says next. Paul goes on to say that your body has been redeemed. A price was paid for your body so that you don't have to live in the past. You can start afresh. And they needed to hear that. So you can just imagine in the church there were people who were desperately guilty, who felt filthy and dirty, who were uh, regretted their past, who hated their past. There were people like that. And there are perhaps people like that here today. In this very room, you're guilty. You feel dirty. You feel filthy because of your past, because of what you've done or because of what was done to you. You're raped with guilt, burdened by your history. And so it's so important for you to hear this next verse. You see, Paul goes on to say that despite that, you've been redeemed, you've been washed, you've been cleansed. And so have a look at verse 11. He goes on to say, remember, this was a church that was just like the world around them. He goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You see, sex is a a type of sin that, that makes people feel dirty and filthy, feel disgusting, feel that they can't be used by God. And so Paul goes on to say, first off, you've been washed. You're clean now. And he goes on to say, you were sanctified. Sanctified is the word we get saints, the holy ones. So Paul says, you've been set apart for God, by God, for God and for his good purposes. He goes on to say, you were also justified. You see, despite the guilt you feel, Christ has made you blameless. You're right before God. You can have a right relationship with God. And how is this possible? We're in the final bit of that verse. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That is how it is by Christ and his work, his death and resurrection for you. And that's why you can be cleansed. That's why you can be sanctified. That's why you can be justified. Now, I'm not sure if there's any transformation that is more profound, any transformation that is more liberating, more wonderful, more satisfying than that verse. This was what you were, but you were washed. You were cleansed. You were justified. Such were some of you, but consider this now. And so what this says is, it doesn't matter. 
what you've done in the past if you trust in Jesus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you have been tempted. It doesn't matter how you have failed sexually. It doesn't matter how filthy and dirty you feel at the moment. Paul is saying, and we are saying, and I am saying, if you are a Christian and you have failed sexually, and let me just say, it's not finger pointing, I suspect that includes all of us. If you are a normal human being and you have something in you called hormones, then it probably means you failed sexually somewhere, somehow. Visually, verbally, virtually, physically. And so if you breathe, most likely you have failed. But if this is you, I'm sure there is a lot of history in this room. A lot of things we would rather forget and we regret and we rather forget. Well, this passage is telling us there's no need to feel filthy and dirty anymore. There's no need to feel that you're beyond saving. And there's no need to feel, how will God make use of me now? He said, you've been cleansed, sanctified, justified. And that's the wonderful gospel of grace. And how good is that? And so Paul's exhortation here is to live like who you are. If this is who you are now, live like it. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to dwell on the past. You don't have to nurse the past or curse the past or rehearse the past. You're a new person, so be a new person. And so his first point here is that your body matters because there was a costly redemption for your body. And secondly, he tells us your body matters because there will be a future resurrection of your body. Now, during the first century, the prevailing Greek philosophy was Platonic, from Plato. Now, this was the belief that the physical body was only the, the, the shell of your true self. Your true self is your spirit. Your, your physical body, well, that was just like an eggshell. Only your spirit mattered. And so your body didn't really matter, your physical body. And so they thought then that what you did with your physical body didn't really matter. Have sex, doesn't matter. Eat, get fat, doesn't matter. They thought only your spirit mattered, only your spirit will go on. And if you think about that, it's really not too much different today. Right? Though we don't think in terms of Plato, today our society is materialistic, isn't it? Where only matter matters, where only the physical matters. Quite the opposite, but in fact the consequences are the same. You know, when we think that only the physical matters, then we live for the moment. We enjoy the moment because we'll die anyway. And so, that way of thinking ends up uh, with people thinking we're just mere animals. We do what animals do and so it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies. It's just a piece of meat. But Paul is saying that that's wrong. That's not the way you are to think of your physical body. Plato got it wrong. Materialism today gets it wrong. And so Paul, what, what he does now is he quotes them. He quotes what they were thinking, what they were saying, and then he refutes them. And so they say something, Paul says something. So look at verse 12. They say, everything is permissible for me. And so they're saying, what I do with my body doesn't really matter. In fact, now that I'm a Christian, I'm free, I'm liberated, I can do anything I like. Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. 
Yes, you Christians, you are free, but not everything you do is for your good. And in verse 12 again, they say, everything is permissible for me, the same, the same thought. Now, Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, Paul sees, Paul understands that worshipping sex, putting sex so highly like they do, you actually become enslaved by sex. And that's what we see in our culture. That's what we see in our society. People are enslaved by sex. They are enslaved by pornography. They are mastered by sex. And that must not be. And in verse 13, they say, what do they say? They say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. And so they're saying, well, my stomach was made for food. Food is for my stomach. They were made for each other. And so they're thinking, same logic applies. My body was made for sex. Sex for my body. They were made for each other. It's just a physical appetite. doesn't matter what I do with my body. In fact, in the end, God will do away with them anyway. The body will cease to exist. And so Paul says, what does he say, verse 13? The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He corrects them. You've got it all wrong. You see, your body was not made for sex. That was not your primary purpose. It was made for God. The basic human need, your basic human need is not sex. You don't need that to survive. You need God to survive. And so Paul says your body matters. It matters to God. And so Paul's correcting their wrong thinking. Plato's got it wrong. He's correcting our wrong thinking. Materialism, that is wrong. Now, if, not, if you're not yet convinced by this, Paul goes on to show how. You see, the body matters, the physical body matters, because you'll be raised up one day a physical body. Just like the Lord Jesus. You will come back from the dead when Christ returns with flesh and bones and toenails. You will be physical. There will be a physical existence in heaven. And so what this is saying then is, in heaven, we won't be like floating spirits flying around in the clouds playing harps. As romantic as that sounds, that is not what heaven will be like. We will have a physical body. It will not be a bodiless experience. We will be able to touch and feel and eat like the Lord Jesus. You see, there will be a future resurrection of your body and that's why your body matters now. Look at verse 14. By this power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. So somehow there's going to be some continuity. We're physical now. We will also be physical in heaven. So your body matters because firstly there was a costly redemption for your body. Your body matters because there will be a future resurrection of your body. And now finally, there is now the divine resident in your body. You are united with Christ. You who are Christians, you are united with Christ in the most intimate way possible. And God now says he dwells in you by his own spirit. And so you can't go on connecting yourselves with prostitutes. You can't connect, go on connecting yourself with, with sexual immorality. That will be to bring God along with you. And that is not on, Paul says, verse 15. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies 
are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. And so Paul says, really, if you think about it, there's nothing that can, can connect you with another person as closely, as intimately as sex. Sex joins two people together in every way possible. It joins two people together emotionally, mentally, spiritually, psychologically and of course physically. And that's why God designed sex only for marriage, within the context of marriage, between one man, one woman, exclusive relationship forever. You see, it's a relational superglue. That's what sex does. It glues a husband and a wife together in a lifelong committed relationship to become one flesh. Now, just think about that. If you superglue two things together, if you try to pull that apart, what will happen? Well, you might try to do that, but with superglue, it will leave some damage. And so that's why sex was not designed by God so that you can glue yourself to one person, rip that apart, Glue yourself to another person, rip that apart and glue yourself to another person and try to rip that apart. It will leave a trail of damage. It will leave a trail of deep hurt and lasting scars. If you are a Christian, your wounds can be healed. The gospel can heal your wounds. But you see, the scars remain. But you're here, you who are Christian, you're united with God by his spirit. And so Paul goes on to say, don't engage in sexual immorality. This is not on for the people of God. And so we see this, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know, again we see that, that you who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in the body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so you see how serious Paul is is helping us see this. This is serious stuff. When anyone engages in sexual immorality, you're not just doing something that is wrong against God. You're not just doing something wrong against another. You're not just doing something wrong against your spouse or your future spouse, but you're in fact also doing something wrong against yourself. You see, sexual immorality affects us at the deepest level. It is self-abuse. To engage in sexual immorality is to abuse yourself. And I know this is the case, and sadly so. I'm sure that you won't need much convincing that that is true. Sexual immorality is self-abuse. You see, the sexual mistakes stay with you for the rest of your life. The scars run deeper than we care to admit. See, what what I did with my boyfriend or my girlfriend in the past, I mean, you can't turn back the clock on that. The scars will remain. What I did with someone else while I was married, you can't turn the clock back on that. The scars will remain. What I did when I was alone, you can't turn the clock back on that. The scars will remain. The wounds, it can be healed. The gospel, gospel can heal your wounds, but the scars remain. And so sexual immorality, Paul says, is self-abuse. Have a look, verse 18. Flee then, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. 
And so Paul now reminds them, reminds the church, reminds us as we're listening, your body is not your own. Your body doesn't even belong to you. And so you can't go on and do with your body as you please. God now dwells in your body by his spirit. He is the divine resident in your body. Your body has now been transformed into a sanctuary for God. It has become a temple of God, so don't abuse it. It's not yours to abuse. And we see this in verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Now, isn't that hard to understand? Hard to accept. Our society says, of course not, my body's my own. But God says, no, your body's not your own. It's been purchased. Have a look. You've been bought at a price. And what's that price? That price is nothing less than the death of the Son of God. And so what do you do with your body? The last bit. Therefore, honour God with your body. And so what we've seen today is that what we think about our bodies, what we do with our bodies, it matters. It matters. It matters because there was a costly redemption for your body. There will be a future resurrection of your body and there is now the divine resident in your body. And so let's ask the question we asked at the beginning. Are you really the master of your soul? The captain of your fate? Well, no. No, you're not. Paul does give us three commands to help us live the way God would want. In this passage, he has three commands, three imperatives. The first is this. Don't be deceived. Verse 9. Don't be deceived. You see, the human heart is deceptive. We are very good at deceiving even ourselves. If I really want something, I can make up all sorts of excuses to get it. I can deceive myself. If it it feels right at the time, go for it. If it's love, why not? You see, the heart is deceptive and Paul says, don't be deceived. And it comes down to this really. Will you listen to the voice of the world? Or will you listen to the voice of God? You see, Paul wants us to remember that there will always be consequences, always, even the little ones, always consequences for sexual immorality. To think that there won't be any consequences if, I'm, if I practice safe sex, if I'm careful, then it will be okay. Well, that is to be deceived. You see, it is, it is, it is to go for temporary pleasure for lasting pain. It is to go for fleeting fun, for enduring hurt. You see, don't ever think that you can sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend and then to think that's harmless. Don't ever think that it's okay to try before you buy, that that will make your marriage better. Don't be deceived. Don't ever think that it's okay to fool around because it is so fun And we love each other. Don't you know that is to be deceived? You're opening up yourself, exposing yourself, making yourself vulnerable to think that that has no consequences. Don't be deceived. And don't ever think that you can engage in pornography and to think it's not hurting anyone. I'm on my own. I'm doing it privately. Don't be deceived. That is such a lie that pornography does not hurt anyone. It, It hurts you for sure 
but it feeds the sex trade, the sex industry. But worse than that, we must remember what Paul says. It is serious. Don't be deceived because there are eternal consequences. You will have no part in the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. This is not on. That's the first command. The second command then is, how can you protect yourself from being deceived? When well, verse 18 he says, flee. One word, flee. If there's any hint at all of sexual immorality, flee the other way. If it's whatever it is, verbal, visual, virtual, physical, flee the other way. Flee like your life depends on it. Is it one of the most common questions those dating ask, dating Christians, what they ask is, how far can I go before I'm married? While I'm dating, how far can I go? Now, if you understand that command, you can see how that is the wrong question to ask. You are to flee, not be like a Pharisee and work out how close can I get to the line without crossing over? How far can I get before it's really sin? Paul says, flee. Don't work out how how much you can do. Is it okay to kiss and do this and do that? Paul says, flee. Any hint of sexual stimulation, sexual arousal, flee. Now, it's worth uh, me sharing this. When I visit the zoo, one of my favourite enclosures are the big cats. You know, the lions, the tigers, they're impressive creatures, powerful creatures. And so when, when we take our kids there, I want, I want the lion to get as close to us as possible. I want to see the big teeth, the, how big they are. I want to see the tiger, I want to see their, their power, their strength. But put me on the other side of the glass. Put me on the other side of the cage. I'm not going to be saying the same thing. Let's see how close I can get to this tiger. Let's see how close I can get to this lion. I'll be fleeing for my life. Flee like it is for your life. Flee from sexual immorality like it is from your life. And if you think about it, the lion and the tigers, I will want to flee. Just look at me. I'm delicious to them, right? First is don't be deceived. Second, flee. Third, what then are we to do with our bodies? The third command Paul gives us is glorify God. Glorify God. Your body is not your own. A price was paid for your body. In fact, that price is the costliest price ever. It's the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. So your body is not your own anyway. It belongs to God and it is to be used for God. And so rather than thinking, how far can I go? Rather than thinking, this feels good, surely there are no consequences? We must be thinking, you must be thinking, how can I glorify God every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every year? And so the next time when you're tempted sexually, The next time when you're alone and suddenly the internet's there. The next time when you're on a date and somehow you're alone in the car and it's dark or in the room and it's dark. The next time when you're in your office and that person, that secretary flirts with you. The next time you're waiting at the doctor's and there's nothing to read there except the glossy magazine. What would you do? 
what would you do? Now imagine if your parents were sitting there right next to you, would you do what you think you would do? If your parents were sitting right there watching you. Or imagine this. Imagine your minister was right there in the room, in the car, in the back seat, eyes on you. Would you still do the same thing? Would you go ahead? Well, our passage tells us you don't need to imagine because more than having your parents there, more than having me there, eyes on you. God is there. Jesus is there. The Spirit of God is in you. He sees everything. Would you still do it? And so rather than playing with fire, rather than allow yourselves to be tempted, rather than being compromised, rather than rolling in the filth and dirt of sexual immorality, we are to be people who think, who are so countercultural. we are to be people who think, how will I glorify God with my body, which he has purchased by his son? Now, tonight I want to end with this. As your pastor, as your minister, and Chris would say the same thing, we are here for you. We are here for you. If you've got hurts in your past, if there are things that has happened to you or things that you've done, you need to hear what Paul is saying. You really need to hear this. If you are a Christian, I want to remind you what Paul reminded the Corinthians. This is what some of you were. That's the past. Because you've been, you've been cleansed, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. This is who you are now, so live like that. But of course, I suspect amongst us there are some of you here who are not yet followers of Jesus. If you are raked with guilt, if it, if it hurts you inside, the wounds are still flesh, uh, fresh, well, come to Jesus where there is healing, where there is true healing from the inside, where you too can be cleansed and sanctified and justified. Do hear that tonight. We are a community of grace. We're not here to point fingers. We want you all to come to Christ. And so tonight, your body matters. It matters because it's been redeemed. It matters because there will be a future resurrection. It matters because God dwells in you. He resides in you. And so don't be deceived, but flee and glorify God with your bodies. Let us pray.